Hello and welcome to the Collier Democratic Roundup, the official podcast of the Collier Democratic Party. My name is Jeff Spencer and I'm the vice chair of the party and the host of this podcast. Thank you guys for clicking on. We're going to dive into what's going on in Tallahassee with only three weeks left in the legislative session. We're also going to talk about the crazy that is Florida Republican politics right now. And we're going to talk a little bit about how our elected leaders here in Collier County continue to put development above the environment, the economy, and fiscal responsibility. But first... Let's go over some party info. I would like to congratulate our own chair, Anissa Kareem, for being elected the Region 8 Chair of the Democratic County Chairs Association. Anissa will be in charge of coordinating the efforts of Region 8 counties, which include Lee, Hendry, Glades, and Charlotte, as well as Collier. We had our first meeting with all the chairs earlier this month and discussed a wide range of topics about how the region can work towards maximizing votes for a Democratic governor and Democratic senator here in 2022. So congratulations to Anissa. A huge thank you to all of the volunteers from our voter protection team that stepped up and called over 4,000 voters here in Collier over the last month who are at risk of being removed from the voting rolls. Supervisor of Elections does a regular list maintenance where voters who have not participated in the last two years of elections are removed from the voting rolls and would have to re-register. So a huge thank you to all of the volunteers who helped. This is a big first step to growing the party, and we can't thank all of our volunteers enough who helped to get the work done. We always need more people to get involved, so if you're interested, please go to our website and sign up to volunteer. Here are some upcoming events to keep on your radar. Every Tuesday at 2 p.m., there is a virtual precinct committee person meeting where precinct committee people get together. They share their thoughts on what's working and what's not. If you're interested in becoming a precinct committee person, please reach out to our volunteer coordinator, Francie Hunt, through the website. The Democratic Women's Club of Marco has its monthly meeting on Thursday, April 22nd. This month, they will be having a discussion and speaker discussing the crisis at the border. So if you're interested in that, please visit the website for more information. The Collier County Democratic Club has its monthly meeting on Monday, April 19th, which will feature Nicole Johnson of the Conservancy of Southwest Florida. Be sure to sign up to attend. All the information can be found on the calendar on our website. And the next meeting of the Collier DEC is on May 6th at 6.30 p.m., where we will have a speaker make a presentation on redistricting, how it works, and when it happens. So please reach out to Francie Hunt to gain access to that meeting. So that's the news of the party. We're going to take a quick break and then dive right into the show. If you are interested in hearing more about what's going on with the local Democratic Party, the Florida Democratic Party, local candidates, events, and local news, there are a number of ways you can hear from us. You can sign up for our monthly newsletter, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or just check in on our website for all the local Democratic Party info. You can find all of these signups on our website at www.collierdems.org. That's www.collierdems.org. Thank you for all the support. 
All right, we're here with Amber and Linda. We're going to talk about the state legislative session. There's only three weeks left. We're going to talk about the crazy that is the crazy here in Florida. We kind of put the capital C in it, so let's we'll dive right into it. And uh, we're going to talk about Collier County's approval of a thousand-acre housing community out in East Naples. But uh, let's start with the state legislative session. Republicans seem to be intent on doing unpopular things. Um, we did defeat their attack on bright futures, but uh, we still have the protest bill, the THC restrictions bill. We have an attack on voting that nearly all supervisor of elections across the state, including Collier's own Republican Jennifer Edwards, who came out publicly against the measure. So th they're just pushing through a lot of stuff that is very, very unpopular. Guys, you know, there are only three weeks left in the session. But with the public backlash from large corporations that surrounded Georgia's unpopular voting bill just a couple weeks ago, do we think Florida Republicans will push through with their unpopular bills or do we think they will back off? I don't I don't think they're going to back off. I think if anything, they might have to tweak it a little bit. Is there anybody that is any type of civil rights group or ACLU like organization talking about um potentially uh, um, attacking this through the courts? All of Has them. There been any... Okay, so all the rhetoric is there. Yeah, unfortunately, though, I, I think you guys will agree with me that it's a Republican-led House, and they're just going to go as far as they can go. I don't see them, any of them waking up or seeing any type of Democratic reason to the things that they're trying to push through. Yeah, I agree. I don't think, I don't think the backlash that has happened in Georgia with companies saying they're not going to do business or taking their events outside of the state is, I don't know. I just don't see it having that much of an effect. I haven't seen, obviously Georgia hasn't yet changed the, the laws that they passed amongst all of this. So Florida just doesn't seem like it's going to be any different, unfortunately. Um, I don't know. I mean, there was a big backlash against the bright futures and that did, have an impact, although, you know, I think they may end up trying to kind of go in the back door against that some other time, try to change the money, you know, make it a little maybe less obvious how they're, how they're going to defund something like that. So um, I don't have a whole lot of hope uh, in our, in our Republican legislature in the state that they're going to see the light and see that these measures are unpopular, um, not only with if you ask the majority of Floridians, but with the country certainly as a whole. And um, so we'll see, we'll see what they can get through, but I I don't have any, I'm not thinking it's gonna happen. Yeah, I think ultimately what's gonna come down to is whether or not they believe that pushing these bills through are going to hurt them come 2022 election cycle. I think ultimately that's the question that is in the forefront of their minds. It's not what uh, we have advocated for in terms of every legislature we believe should go out there and do what's best for their constituency and try to make their community and their state and their nation better through the bills that they pass. But unfortunately, most Republicans don't view it that way. They tend to view it as how will this bill help me or hurt me in the next election cycle? Well, we've seen before and we've talked about it before on this show about the fact that the the memory of the voting populace is generally relatively short. So seeing that we're still a year and a half out from 
2022 elections. I don't know how much of this will will stick to them. Um, but I think they're I think they're more in a position where they realize that the way that everything in our country is shifting, um, especially as we saw in this last election, we'll see how that continues if it continues going forward in 2022. But they know that if if they don't pass these voting restriction measures, um, pretty soon the Republicans are going to have a very difficult time getting elected without things such as gerrymandering and um, and restricting the vote to less people. They know that's their only chance. Um, so I think they're just they're pushing these through. And you can see it's a priority. It's in like 43 states are trying these measures right now. Um, and I think they're more they're more concerned about saving themselves and putting themselves in a position than they are about actual legislation. Yeah, I don't think that's ever their uh, reason for ETRA. <laughs> yeah. That's never something they ever want to, well, let's do some good. Let's listen to the voting public. No, that's that's never something that enters their mind. Otherwise, they would have um, allowed our fe- uh, the felons that have paid their debt to society to vote or stop trying to go around the fact that most Floridians actually want to be able to buy marijuana legally. And they have, and both of those things have been voted, but you'd think, you know, you'd think by the way the Florida legislature handles these things, you'd think that the majority of Florida had voted against these things. But, um, you know, they keep on trying to work around it and gut those two things that were very clearly popular. Yeah, 70, 71% of Floridians voted for the medical marijuana ballot initiative uh, to four, to, what was it, four years ago now. Uh, and yet they're still passing laws trying to restrict it and restrict know? it mightily. I mean, this this next bill that will more than likely be passed, you know, makes it almost an impossibility um, to for dispensaries and people because it's basically like uh, shortening the active ingredient, lessening, if you will, the active ingredient THC in marijuana. And it's 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 almost makes it cost prohibitive. For people to get so that's the that's the end around that they're trying to to work so it's going to cost you double if you want to go to a dispensary and and outfit yourself it's depressing and frustrating and i i think come 2022 it's going to take a whole heck of a lot of money to keep floridians aware of the things that have been happening in this legislative session yeah yeah and we, we've got to, uh, people need to continue donating, continue volunteering, continue working with your local political parties to, uh, to make sure that voters know about these things. Because not only, not only will what they've done this year in this session, uh, do we need to remind them of it, but there will be another session uh, in 2022 that they will also be able to try to pass some of these things. So if we are successful in delaying or defeating some of these bills and getting them pushed off, um, they could always pop back up in another legislative session. So we've got to always uh, keep engaged and really work to make sure that if some of these bills go through, particularly the THC bill or the voting uh, bill, that we make all of the voters aware of them and, and point out to them how the decisions that their Republican representation 
made in the state legislature, how it affected them here in their own lives. They cannot buy medical marijuana anymore, at least marijuana that, that does what it's supposed to be doing. And they have to continually request vote by mail requests and they have to continually, it makes it much more difficult to vote. These are the things that we have to kind of point out to them uh, as we move forward. And so speaking of how bad the Florida state legislature, Florida is the home of, it seems, all of the true believers and all of the true crazies from the Republican Party. Trump continues to be Trump from Mar-a-Lago. Ron DeSantis's COVID vaccine favoritism uh, for all of his donors was highlighted on a national 60 Minutes uh, news broadcast and uh, Florida Representative Matt Gates is under investigation for sex trafficking. So all of that would seem to be pretty bad news for the Republican Party, but Trump is still supported by 70-80% of Republicans. Ron DeSantis is now the front runner for the 2024 Republican nomination, and Matt Gates isn't resigning. And one poll uh, found that respondents that believed that he was guilty, 7% of them still don't want him to resign. So, um, Guys, what are Floridian, specifically Republican Floridians, thinking? Yeah, don't put me into that category. <laughs> I know what I'm thinking, and it's not that. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I cannot fathom the likes of the, the current kind of, I would say, the, the leading people of the Republican Party, the way that they have chosen and allowed the type of people that are um, the loudest, have the, the biggest megaphone of their party. It's shocking to me that they have honestly allowed this. And, you know, that's something they're going to have to deal with in <laughs> for history, I think, will we'll not be kind to the current Republican Party. Um, so I don't know how long they can, honestly, I don't know how long they can continue at this level without reining in some of this craziness because you, you know, it's just, it's becoming like every day it's, it's something. And, you know, not to say that the, you know, you have, you have political parties that are large, you're going to have idiots on all sides doing things that are, um, indecent or uh you know puts puts them in a bad light but it's yeah we're looking at you andrew cuomo exactly yes but that's where it's like you know i feel like that as more and more information comes out about cuomo um and gen and general democrats they get heat put on them by their own party the democratic party does not allow you know it's like okay fine you get uh, somebody says an allegation all right well let's see Let's see what happens. Let's give more information. As more information comes out and it's looking like this is not looking very good. Um, there, how many members of the Democratic Party, you know, the establishment were saying that he should resign? Um, and you just don't get that on the Republican side. I don't know what they would have to do in order for Mitch McConnell or somebody like that to, to say that they should resign. And, you know, as far as I've heard, there's been one member of the Republican Party that has come out and suggested a congressman that suggested that Gates should resign. Um, now, granted, I know there's more information coming out, but it's not looking good, certainly, at the moment. So the only Republican that is calling for any type of Matt Gates censure is Andrew Kinzinger, which, you know, he's been pretty vocal about 
his breaking with Trumpian politics already. So, you know, he's proven himself to be a Republican firebrand there, not without repercussions and heat from his own party. But he's been the only brave voice in the Republican Party. And there's been a lot of people asking for Cuomo to resign. I, I, I feel the same way. I, I really do. I don't. I am so disheartened, you know, when everything happened with Al Franken and I mean both sides of the aisle when everything happened with will you guys remind me her name is Katie the 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 representative from California whose husband put a you know po- posted something yes. on Facebook about a consensual relationship and yeah. she was literally forced out of the house and none of those things none of those things outside of Andrew Cuomo cuz he's proving himself to be quite a disgusting person it even comes close to what Matt Gates has been accused of and, and not a peep from the Republican party, not a peep. I, I don't understand how people don't the, the level of hypocrisy. How can you possibly just, you know, close your eyes at night if you're going to decry one thing and then support something else? I don't, I don't get it either. And, and the thing that really, I, I think the juxtaposition that is, is most telling to me is when you look at these individuals, DeSantis, Trump, and, uh, Gates, all are culture warriors. They, they tend to focus on these culture battles that, you know, Dr. Seuss or some uh, other kind of right-wing fever dream that has very little to do with actual policy and actual legislation that affects the everyday lives of voters. Matt Gates does not have a, have a single, in four years of being a representative, he has not signed on or passed any legislation. But he's been on Fox News 172 times. Donald Trump wasn't interested in doing any type of legislating or leading. DeSantis actually has done some things with regard to trying to legislate, but right now he's focused on an protest bill and a THC bill and he's attacking voting rights and he's doing things that are against the will of the people that are voting. You compare that to what Biden is doing with his COVID relief plan that still has 70 plus percent approval rating, which again, I'm going to say this line again, because I think it's, we can't get 50, it's we're 50, 50 on the, on storming the Capitol. And yet this bill has got 75% approval. And he's rolled out his uh, infrastructure plan, which is north of $2 trillion. And that's in the 70s, 70% range in terms of people approving it. And yet the, the Republican Party doesn't have an answer for it. They're focusing on Dr. Seuss. They're focusing on trying to restrict people's voting rights. They're focused on saying that you can get arrested for attending a protest. In the United States of America, you can go to a protest and get arrested just because someone, some idiot did something stupid at that protest. They say, oh, it was a riot. Now everyone's liable to get arrested for going to think. What is that going to do? It's going to make people go, well, I'm not going to show up and protest because I don't want to get arrested. I don't want to run the risk. What, I mean, that's, that's fundamentally against what this country is about. We should be able to stand up and say what we're going to, what we think is wrong Both in a sides. protest. Both sides. Both sides. Exactly. Both sides. And so uh, to me, th- this whole, you know, th- th- I think voters need to remember that while the Republicans 
are being crazy and getting indicted for sex trafficking, inciting mobs to attack the Capitol and trying to pass bills that restrict your right to vote and your ability to protest. The Democrats are passing bills that 75 percent of Americans approve of. We're putting money into people's pockets. You remember, I mean, let's just remember Donald Trump was fighting against the whole COVID thing and we're getting what three to 4 million shots of the vaccine in people's arms every single day. That's because president Biden has just absolutely killed it when it comes to COVID in terms of getting the vaccine out, cutting away the red tape, making sure people can get the vaccine. And we're actually working. We're number one in the world in terms of getting the vaccine out we are the we are on pace to have the most have 75% of our population in the United States by June vaccinated and that is number 1 in the country in and the or in the world number 1 in the world and you compare that to just 5 months ago with Donald Trump leading it we were at the end we were at the tail end of every single category with dealing with the pandemic so p- voters need to remember the Democrats are working to try to get things done, get things fixed, and help you as, as a citizen and as a person to just survive through this and then thrive and get better. While the Republicans are defending Matt Gates's sex trafficking, Donald Trump's incitement of a, a riot, and Ron DeSantis's COVID you know, giveaway for his wealthy donors. People need to remember that when they go in the voting booth. And Democrats all across this county and this state need to put their money and their time and effort behind the efforts to try to make sure that every voter knows about it come 2022. Absolutely. We at the Collier Democratic Party want to take a moment to thank all of the volunteers and supporters that helped Collier County have the highest Democratic turnout of any county in the entire state. With your help, we hit 91% turnout. But our work is not done. We have to continue building our coalition to defeat Ron DeSantis and Marco Rubio in 2022. We may be rid of Donald Trump, but there are many who aided and abetted his incompetence. We need you to make a donation to help us prepare for the next election. Please go to www.callyourdems.org. That's www.callyourdems.org and click on the red donate button. We thank you for your support. So with that, we will move on to the third topic. Collier County Planning Commission approved a recommendation of a new 1,000-acre housing community in East Naples. The approval is against the recommendation of the Conservancy and other environmental groups who worry that taxpayers will be on the hook for facilities. There are also some concerns that it will further encroach into sensitive areas that are important to the Florida Panther Uh, And it also doesn't really have any affordable housing options, which is one of the most needed parts of the housing puzzle that we need here in Collier. Um, The elected officials here in Collier seem to be a rubber stamp for developers, no matter what the concerns of the public or environmental organizations. Um, We've dealt with Red Tide over the last, God, 10 years. Uh, Everglades restoration is currently costing Floridians $600 million a year to deal with all of the development that we've done in the previous four decades. And our local estuaries and, and environmental areas are void of wildlife. And we're having to deal with significant 
rehabilitation in those areas. What do you think it's going to take to stop building in these sensitive areas? Uh, I think it's going to take, um, it's going to take a, probably something on the federal level, something bigger than the state of Florida, because the state of Florida has been under Republican control for multiple decades. And we can see by the rampant um, development that we have here that nothing's going to change, even among, amongst environmental disasters every year with our water. Um, you know, nothing, nothing has changed. We just had another um, phosphorus release of spill up in Manatee County that is killing manatees, like the largest manatee kill we've had in the state this entire year. So I think that it's going to take, um, it's, I don't know, I don't see it happening on the state level unless we can get some of the people who are currently running the state out of the state. Um, same thing with Collier County. Sadly, Collier County is, a, you know, there, everything is economic and business based and not saying that that shouldn't have an impact, um, you know, but they're looking out for that as well. But we live in an extremely environmentally sensitive area and we should be proud of it and we should protect it. And I think one of the issues with so many people that move down here who who come from somewhere else, this is not their home. Even if they move down here permanently, they still kind of, you know, their memories and their, um, their childhood. And they think about going camping in the forest and things where they live. And, and I'm sure some of them want to protect that. And we get less of that down here in Florida. They come down here and they see a house with one palm tree in the yard and they think that's Florida, but that's not Florida. Um, and the fact that Collier County just butts up to the Everglades and some very, some of the most sensitive areas in the world. I mean, you look at the Everglades National Park, nothing like that exists in this on this entire planet. And it's right here in our backyard. And um, we've made some great strides, certainly, since the 70s to help things out. But at the same time, the development is continuing to encroach in there and um it's just not the the amount of good things that have happened as far as like uh, wildlife underpasses and uh, trying to improve the flow of the everglades is not enough to counteract what they're actively doing um I, there's another thing that I, I don't know if it's related to this thing that you mentioned jeff about the thousand acres but there's um, the Collier Enterprises and Baron Collier companies have been working to get, they're trying to get federal approval um, to take 45,000 acres of current um, farmland and forested area that is part of the panther habitat and transfer that to residential area. And that's currently happening right now. So, you know, you talk about this thousand acres, which is a big deal. Um, but that's just the tip of the iceberg of what we're seeing is is in the pipeline in some of these places. And one of the big problems is the the um, the Endangered Species Act actually has has really been it, it's a it's a wonderful achievement. But the problem is it's hardly ever enforced. And there's been people who have been trying to use that to protect land down in the Everglades and it's just not, it's not enforced on a federal level. 
Um, granted, we saw during the Trump administration, the, the uh, environmental agencies were just cut to bare bones. And, you know, they, anybody, they couldn't really even get anything approved or time for people to look through the, the petitions. Um, but I think that's really, they need to go on that level. They need to get this, um, this looked at from a federal level, get the wildlife uh, endangered species. I mean, we're looking at one of the most endangered cats in the entire world. Again, is right here in our backyard. And I just don't understand like the, the, the Baron Collier companies who, um, who's I'm just mentioning them because they're part of uh, this, this 45,000 acre uh, petition to get federal approval. They, you know, they want to turn that to residential and in their, in their assessment, environmental assessment, they're just talking about the land. They don't mention about the, we're going to add about 300,000 new residents out there in Panther territory, if this were to happen. And that's going to bring about 225,000 additional vehicles out in that territory, which currently now is just panther breeding area and roaming area. And, um, you know, if you know that the number one killer of panthers is cars, think of adding, and they're so remote anyways, think of adding 225,000 more cars in their, in their land and see where we're going to be with that. So everything you said is correct. And it would be a death, a death, you know, the, the, the bell would toll for the panther, you know, it is in that situation. I, I unfortunately do not see any type of stopping these developers. I don't believe that the commissioners will stop them. I don't think that the state of Florida will stop them. I don't see how we could get any type of federal, you know, restrictions done in time to, um, you know, to stop these people from breaking ground. And, you know, it's, it's, Time and time again, there's there's no stopping quote unquote progress, and until Florida basically just implodes from all of this building and dredging and you know habitat destruction, yeah, I I don't see how you know we're going to come out of this particular. Well, I think this is a this is a the bigger issue here is that I think as a society as a humanity we are we need to address our our idea of um unfettered economic growth and that has always been the model is that okay growth 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 in all areas and at some point that's unsustainable um i think we've reached that in certain areas but at you know at some point we cannot just continue unfettered economic growth. Um, there have to be ways that we can, we can work in harmony with the land and with the people. And I mean, I just feel like, you know, when is enough? When is it enough? When do the, when do people have enough that they can say, okay, that's enough, you know, but I know there's, I know you and I, you and I will always ask that question, but the people who should be asking that question never ask themselves that question Well, and it's because never is ever enough. How many people do we need here? And, you know, and I say this with the knowledge that any of these things bring jobs. And I think people, even amongst uh, of uh, the three of us have 
benefited in some ways by growth in this in this county um just by jobs that we may have gotten as a result of that um if this stuff didn't exist so we have to all i think look at that you know i i have uh, three points when i think about this and it and, you know the the first is um you know development the thing that always frustrates me about development is that the reason why florida is so popular is because of the environment it is because of the beaches it is because of the everglades and the and the type of environment that you're around it's warmer it's um the the wildlife that we have here yet development has shown over the last 30 40 50 hundred thousand years that if you develop in certain areas that you disrupt the ecosystem and cause problems it is known that the red tide and blue-green algae blooms that we've seen over the last five years as a result of overdevelopment in the middle of the state around Lake Okeechobee and flushing all of this nitrogen-filled water down the Caloosahatchee into our bays and exacerbating a naturally occurring red tide and creating the blue-green algae. So when you continue to push forward with development in the face of known problems. And again, you're spending $600 million a year to reverse what you've developed to to allow the Everglades to work the way it was supposed to work when it evolved that way. So I think people need to remember that when they come to development, it's not always good. The second is we talked about the state legislature and what they're doing. Another one of their awful bills that's up there is a, a bill called preemption for, it's a it's a technical title that basically just says that state government officials can preempt local laws. So Republicans aren't happy with controlling the state legislature, but because they don't control Miami-Dade and Broward County, and Miami-Dade and Broward County can pass mask ordinances, or they can pass affordable housing covenants, or they can pass environmentally sensitive uh, rules and requirements with their building, the Republicans don't like that. So they've proposed a bill in which the state can step in and say, no, you can't do that. Developers, you can do whatever you want, even if the local community says that they don't want to do it. That's one of the worst bills that they have out there. And they're pushing for it because they're sick and tired of, I guess, allowing local communities to decide how they should have their communities governed. I thought that was a hallmark of Republican political theory, which is let you know, dispense all of the, the leadership all the way as far down the, the banners. You, know, you don't want federalism. You don't want some overarching government entity stepping in and overruling the local leaders. Well, I guess if you're a Republican and you're doing it to Democrats, it's okay. But if it's anything else than that, then that's just anti-American. So we all, we also have to think about that. Even here in Collier, we don't have it, but in Miami-Dade and Broward, they're actually pretty, pretty progressive with what they're trying to do with these environmental regulations. And there are bills in the state house that are looking to override that so that Republicans here in Collier, like Kathleen Pasadomo, our state Senator, who's going to be in charge of the entire state Senate. Someone like her can step in and say, Hey, Miami day, you're doing all this stuff to help with the environment, but we're overruling you. Or DeSantis can step in and say, we're overruling you. So that's on the horizon as well. Um, So that's number two. And the third thing is, 
all of this talk when Republicans bring up about how uh, we need to be focused on business and growth and all of that. And, and Amber laid out a perfect distillation of why that in its essence, just on its face is bad to just say that we're only focused on growth because there's all these ulterior problems that pop up because of just focusing on growth. But then when you delve into what they're actually saying, they're not doing the things to promote growth here in Collier County. They're not. Affordable housing is the number one problem for employers, high-end employers. I'll give you an example. Arthrex. Arthrex is a medical device manufacturer here. It's one of the largest, it may be the largest outside of the government employer in Collier County. They sat down with the local Collier County resident, uh, County commissioners and stated to them, this is about a year and a half ago, and said, look, if you don't get enough more affordable housing here in Collier County, we're going to have to move more of our jobs to our South Carolina location because we can't get engineers that we pay cannot mm -hmm. afford to live in Collier County with what we're paying. So we have to move those jobs to South Carolina where it's more affordable. Do you know what Kathleen Pasadomo and Bob Rommel and Byron Donalds at the time, you know what they voted for in the state legislature? They voted to take the restrictions, of the, the ability of local legislators like county commissioners to be able to enforce affordable housing covenants on developers. They took that away, said you can't do that. So Republicans say they want to be about growth and they want to do this. But when a when the largest employer in Collier County steps forward and says, hey, we need more affordable housing. What did the Republicans in our own community do? They said, sorry, we're not doing that. We're going to just keep rubber stamping the developers who want to keep building these thousand acre things. So my point is, on top of the problems with the environment, the problems with with just unhinged growth. I mean, one of the conservancy, the conservancy of Southwest Florida environmental group, their main concern with regard to the, the thousand acre housing project in East Naples is that the developers don't pay the, the city and the taxpayer or, or the county and the taxpayer are going to have to be on the hook for all of these increases in, in infrastructure that the developers don't include in their budget. Yet it got rubber stamped to the tune of $42 million that we're going to have to be on there to, to, to increase roads and water drainage and all of the different things that come in lights and everything else that they didn't have to, to be able to support that large of a community out there. And that's setting aside what Baron Collier companies are talking about with 45,000 acres. I think and just one more thing I would like to add to is that if, if you go back in history, you know, pull up an environmental, um, environmental objection to development pretty much in any decade in the last 40 years in the state of Florida, you're going to see the same exact arguments from developers. It's always, it's always like, well, we, you know, it's going to be developed anyways, or, um, you know, the fact that this is, it's just going to be this, like, well, it's just this, like the rest of the land past this, that's going to be fine. Well, then, 10 years later, when they want to develop the land past this, it's like, well, it's just this, but the land past this is going to be fine. It's like they're constantly using the same arguments over and over again. And for some reason, it, it continues to work. 
So it's, it's just surprising. You just need to look back at the history and, and see where we were and where we are now and realize that the all a bunch of lies. There's, and you know, and this is not to say that there can't be any growth, but there is a difference between smart growth and smart planning. Um, and that's the difference here. There are, there are developments that can be used um, that can happen intelligently that benefit the community and also the environment. And uh, I think that's where, you know, the problem is it just takes a little either ingenuity. Um, it takes outside the box thinking and nobody wants to do that. They want to clear the land. They want to put in their gated community with their one palm tree in everybody's front yard. And that's way easier because they know how to do that. Um, so I think we just need to focus. We need to force people to do some of this stuff. It's kind of like with the cars and um, the emissions standards. The car, there's no way that the car, the car companies would have put their cars um, to run more fuel efficient had they not been required to do so. And even when they, when it, Trump came in and they removed the restriction, they said, well, we've already developed this now and we know that this is now going to be profitable for us. So we want it, we're going to continue this, but they would not have done that on their own. And I think that's the, that's the balance of government with private business. All right. So we're going to move on to the last bit, which is the fun part, which is uh, our moment of positivity. Amber, what's your moment of positivity? So I found, I read an article um, this month, or I guess it was last month, but recently about the Shetland Islands off the coast of Scotland and how they have been using tidal energy to power their, uh, their homes and businesses there for a number of years. And they are now the first, the first place in the world that has um, installed a electric power charging station for cars that is 100% um, powered by the tide, which I just found fascinating. Um, you know, we always hear about wind and solar and all these alternative energies, but I had not yet heard about tidal energy. Um, and it makes so much sense. You know, these people that have um, large tidal influences in the seas near them. So I just thought that was, that's a perfect example. And I know they're just a tiny little section of the world. So, but it's, it shows you what is possible um, if we just kind of think outside the box a little bit. So that gave me a little bit of hope this past, uh, this awesome. past month. Linda? What's your moment of positivity? Um, so I'm going to go along with you on the energy train. And I found online that um, I'm, I'm wholly uninformed about this, but reading about it now makes me excited because when we talk about green energy and things that are going to go electric, like electric cars, you, you still have to plug those things into the grid. So, you know, we're, we're still using uh, uh, fossil fuels to kind of, you know, charge these cars. Uh, things are still going on to the power grid. So tidal energy, you know, is a, is a great way to, to not have any type of byproduct. And, and it'd be a truly green energy, wind energy, mm -hmm. um, you know, all these things. So um, 
nuclear fusion. Sexy, right? You guys are with me here? Yes. Sexy nuclear fusion. So, right. Thank you. Sounds um, like a great so Halloween, Halloween costume. Sexy nuclear fusion. Sexy nuclear fusion. How do we do it? How do we do it? I need nuclear fusion and I need an MIT professor. Because what, they, what the kids at MIT are saying is that um, they're predicting that fusion energy will be on the grid by 2030. Which, you know, that's, that's not that far away, truly. So what they're saying is that in 2015, a gigantic nuclear fusion reactor was switched on in Germany. Did you guys hear about that? That happening? I, yes, I did hear something about okay. this. Yeah. So when... that, well, you're awesome, Amber. So since it's been successfully able to contain a fiery blob of hydrogen plasma to create that fusion reaction, right? <laughs> Germany wasn't alone. China and South Korea have had similar results with their fusion machines. And now the UK, not to be left behind, um, have activated their own reactor, which has been even more successful in maintaining the plasma within its core to create that that um, fusion energy. So all of that, you know, the success of these plants, you know, in creating this energy, who which would have, you know, very limited byproducts, you know, to harm our environment. Um, you know, could be something that, you know, could add to our, our energy grid, you know, in a positive way. So uh, I find those things positive, truly. I don't know about you guys. I stay up at night wondering about these things and um, reading something like that kind of, you know, warms my heart. Warms like my it. heart, y'all. Cool. All right. My, my <laughs> moment of positivity, I'm taking this back to Mars because I love it. We're back at Mars. So NASA. <laughs> How yep, did NASA, I know? NASA How did just I know? released photos of a portion of the north uh, polar cap of Mars that they are titled the Blue Dunes on the Red Planet. So they have taken this this image from above um, of the sand dunes that all these sand dunes on Mars have been uh, kind of sculpted and raised up from the winds on Mars. And this particular photo uh, is with a thermal camera and you can see these uh, red, it looks like waves. And then it looks like there are these blue lagoons on on Mars, just amazingly blue. And it's just a temperature variation that you're seeing on these sand dunes. And it's just amazing. It's just an incredible photo. And if, if you didn't tell me that this was on Mars, I would imagine that this was somewhere in the Sahara or, or something else, because it, 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 it looks like something that could be on our planet. And, um, it's just amazing. I mean, the fact that human beings are on Mars, um, not humans, but human activity. Well, so if you get a chance, check out the blue dunes on the red planet uh, and take a look at the photo because well. it's pretty, pretty breathtaking. So that's our show. Thank you guys for clicking on. Thanks to Agent 13 for the theme song. Please remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Hope everybody's staying safe out there. Until next time, so long.